Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Well, he should have. He had the chance. True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear. The man over there, Mark Boyer, co-host, Fact Checker Supreme. Produced by Magic Matt Allen, about whom I have a fond memory brought to mind when I was watching... Uh, I was actually binge-watching the HBO series The Newsroom, which goes back about nine years. <coughs> and... Uh, Reminds me of a story about Matt Allen demonstrating his intrinsic integrity as a human being, something we don't often witness as regular listeners of the show. Actually, we do. But I got to praise Matt because it reminded me of something he did on the air that I really was admired him for. So praise uh, where what it's it, due. So what did he do? Yeah, what, what was it? Don't you remember this? It was the night that the, or right after... We had the Republican candidate debate from Orlando, Florida. And all the candidates were talking about how important it is to support the military. And he got a phone call. The phone call was from a captain in the military who was stationed in the war zone in Iraq. And the guy got booed because he asked the question, when you're president of the United States, are you going to stand up for the rights of gays and lesbians in the military? Yeah. And? and everybody booed him. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was not one of the presidential candidates thanked the man for his service or answered his question, except you. Oh, well, yes, because I'm appreciative. Yes, thank yeah. God. Yeah. And I admire you for that. You came on the air and you said, what the hell? I'm paraphrasing. The matter with these guys, they want to be commander-in-chief and a guy who was volunteered, who enlisted, right. is over there... Offering up his life in defense of us, and they just and let the audience boo him. They could have said, hey, don't boo a guy, no matter what your opinion on those issues, who's ready to give his life for you. That's because most people are children. Yeah, I agree. We agree on that. And so the only two people I heard stand up for him were you and the make-believe character on the newsroom who did the same thing. <laughs> Both being Republicans. So, congratulations. Thank you for the acknowledgement. Yep, I acknowledge that. So, Pearl. Yep. Uh, we have a specific reason to talk about one of your books. Why don't you tell us the name of the book and uh, give us a synopsis of the story? <laughs> I'll give you a synopsis, all right. My book, one of my favorite books of all time that I took time out of my busy schedule to write, uh, which is entitled Murder in the Family. Not a cheerful story, mind you. Continue. Now, did the boy get the dirt bike? That no, it was a girl and she didn't get the dirt bike. That was ah, a different book. Okay. Can you turn me up just a little bit? Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Okay, here's the deal. A few weeks ago on the program, I was complaining about a, like a Cliff Notes version of my book. Right. That someone wrote that was absolute poop on a stick. Yes. Now, this one is also absolute poop on a stick. Same concept, except no human being wrote it. Before we get there, tell us about Murder in the Family and what the story entails. The story is very simple. Uh-huh. A lovely uh, young woman with her two kids is brutally raped and murdered, the kids too. Mm. It's a horrible, horrible scene. And she was raped and murdered by her nephew, Kirby Anthony, who's still in prison for this crime, thankfully. Her husband was out of town at the time, and it's the story of the investigation into the murder uh, and about the characters, of course, and how they caught Kirby in what in that case uh, he is. 
All right. What were some of the um, the facts around the case that caught Kirby? Well, uh, <laughs> I will contrast the facts of the case to what this particular. Yes, that's the idea. <laughs> uh, first of all, whoever did this, they could tell was very comfortable being there because he didn't do it in a big hurry. Took his time. Uh, also stole money out of the big canister in which this uh, woman kept uh, her tips. She worked in a restaurant. Right. And was that was that visible or was it hidden somewhere? No, it was visible. It was on the, okay. the uh, dining room table, the kitchen table, and it was empty. It was usually filled with her, with her tips. And, uh, right. So someone who knew what that was and was greedy enough to take it. Second, he spent a lot of time there. He enjoyed himself murdering his aunt and raping her. And raping and murdering the two little girls. I mean, they were like, you know, prepubescent, little, like three and 12 or something like that. And uh, who would have access? Who could have come in there? Who would have been let in? You know, oh, hi, welcome, come on in. Well, there's a short list of those people. <laughs> and even though there was a, uh, a registered sex offender who lived down the street who they wanted to focus on, first of all, uh, they went, ah, no, they weren't friends with this person. They didn't know him. He wouldn't have been, you know, let into the house. Is there anybody else? Let's take a look. Oh, there was his nephew, Kirby. What's his history? He's suspected of murdering and raping somebody down in Idaho. Gee, do you think maybe there's a clue here? Uh-huh. Well, the people who did the first one I complained about were actually live people. In this one, I think the motive, I have to just guess on this, I think the motivation may have been quick read. Yes. <clears throat> uh, in my time uh, listening to and doing the show, you have mentioned in the past that when you did your first book, a famous true crime author gave you an admonishment. Yes. That was Gary C. King, who I would often call the king of true crime, <coughs> although he wasn't, right. but that was a nice play on words. When I told him I had a contract to do this book, which was my first serious true crime book, I'd previously written Man Overboard, which is kind of a funny one. And he said, boy, I remember this so clearly. We were on the bus on the way to an author's convention. And he said, be prepared to cry a lot. And it was really true. I mean, you have to talk to people who's like, their wife has just been brutally raped and murdered or their sister, or, you know, it's just a horrible thing. So I put a picture of the two little girls on my computer, right? right. So while I'm writing it, I'm looking <clears throat> at the, these two little kids who were raped and murdered. And... Uh, uh, it's a very tragic thing. You know, I mean, a murder like that is just so horrific. In fact, if you read the reviews of the book, people praise the book, but say it's so difficult to read it because it's so tragic. And uh, it's a heartbreaking story. And you had, you had a, a different admonishment about reviews. Don't read them. <laughs> and who told you that? The chief executive editor of Kensington Publishing Company. She said, Burl, don't read the reviews on Amazon. I said, why not? I like reading praise and adulation. <laughs> oh, everyone likes a good, nice attaboy. Yeah. But she says, you're not going to get attaboys. You're going to get people who read the book and then write an honest review. And people did. And then you'll have trolls. People who uh, write negative reviews and have never even read the book. Right. And they'll just make up all sorts of nonsense and complain. And those are the ones you'll remember. Those are the ones that will impact you are the negative ones, and it can affect you to the point where it interferes with your ability to write a book. She was right. <laughs> she was absolutely correct. People, it's, it's, uh, it's, 
is what I, 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 it boggles my mind that people have nothing better to do yeah. than crap on somebody without any facts or evidence. Well, they do it for a sense of power. If they see someone getting a lot of four and five star reviews of a book, they go, ha, 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 ha. Uh -huh, I'll teach I'll them. I'll fix them. I'll write a no star or a one star review and say, this is a piece of crap <coughs> to bring the rating down. You know, In fact, on this particular uh, book, with someone who was a troll in the review on Amazon. See, I do remember these. <coughs> Too much talk about ballistics. I'm sick of all the talk about ballistics. That's all he talks about. Ballistics, ballistics, ballistics. BS on the ballistics. They were murdered with a knife. <laughs> but, but they weren't. They were murdered with a knife. There were no guns in the whole damn story. No ballistics at all. Ah. I don't know what book that person was reading. There's a, a new show on one of the entertainment channels mm -hmm. called One Star Reviews. Oh, really? And it's this young man who goes to Yelp, finds uh uh, food places, restaurants, fast food places, where they only have these one-star reviews. Oh, what fun. And then he goes to those places, talks to the owner, asks them about the reviews, samples the, the service and the cuisine, and establishes whether the review was legit or not. That's a great idea. Yeah, so somebody has actually got himself a TV show. That's, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, like Restaurant Impossible. <laughs> so we have uh, Murder in the Family, and then there's this one review that you just went nuts over. Well, I went, that's over that one. But what I really went crazy over was this, there are two books out now. One is an audio book. That's the one I want to talk about today. Previously, we discussed one of these books uh, that's supposed to be like a cliff note, like a guide to the book. Like if you're a... If you're going to a class in college and they say, okay, we want you to read Murder in the Family by Burl Bear uh, as an example of a true crime book that's uh, well-known and talks about police procedure, etc. And of course, they're gonna have to take a test about the book. So being as it's considered a textbook now, mm -hmm. which is great for me because students have to buy it, <laughs> which means money in the mail. Uh, don't go get one of these books that tells them what the primary points are, right? They're cheating, right. cheat sheet. Well, the one that, uh, cheat, first cheat sheet that came out on Murder in the Family was done by a human being who was clueless. <laughs> and remember we talked about it and I didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. Now this one is worse because no human being wrote it. They say now that you can go to artificial intelligence and say, give me an essay of the primary points of Burl Bear's Murder in the Family and it will write you something brilliant. No. Or not. Or not. And this was a case of or not. Reminded me of that non-classic movie, American Werewolf in Paris. Not American Werewolf in London, mind you, which was excellent. But the sequel, American Werewolf in Paris, where they used CGI for the werewolves. This was before CGI was refined to the point of Jurassic Park. Right. So what you got was cartoon werewolves. Really? I mean, all of a sudden it turns into a cartoon. You go, what the hell is this? <laughs> this crap? Same thing. I download the audio book done by artificial intelligence to tell me the primary points of every chapter of my book. Right. If I had not read the book myself, which I actually did, and if I hadn't written it, I wouldn't know what the hell these people were talking about. 
the very first primary point of chapter one or something that these people must know according to the artificial intelligence is that so-and-so had a interview appointment and needed his beard clipped. Oh, this must be important. And so-and-so borrowed a vacuum cleaner with a beard trimming attachment. The Floby, as I remember, from the 70s. Yeah. Well, it turns out to be moderately important much later in the story when the police examined the contents of the vacuum cleaner bag and did it as an archaeologist would. You know, like layer layers, by layer. layer by layer by layer to see if they could get forensic evidence on who was in the apartment. But for you to start off thinking the most important thing in this chapter is someone had their beard trimmed just throws you totally off. The worst offensive so far that I've heard in this AI version of my book of, of you know salient points right. is in gathering evidence, although it was a woman's voice, you could change the voice if you want. In gathering evidence, police discovered that the following morning, a pall had spread over the restaurant. <laughs> and uh, What's was, a pall? What's a pall about a, you? A pall bearer? No, it means a sadness. If I know that. People found out that the waitress had been murdered. They were sad. Oh. Uh, but that's not evidence of a pall being spread like a blanket over the restaurant. Anyway, whoever did this just put in request, please write essay that I can sell for two ninety five, <laughs> narrated by a computer on the salient points of Burl Bear's murder in the family. And I pity the fool. Who, I pity the fool. I pity the poor fool who invests the money and thinks they're going to do well on a test by listening to this instead of reading my book. That's interesting. When I was in college in uh, English Lit, um, we were we had we got a, like fifty books. You pick your book, mm -hmm. and then you have to write a Cliff Notes ah. the book. And if anyone has seen a Cliff Notes, there's more than just characters and action. Mm -hmm. There's also some insight. Right. Like yeah. this thing actually says insights into Burl Bear's murder yeah. family. And so you you know you had to learn how to do that. And that was a way to teach the student, me, how to read critically and therefore how to write critically. Correct. Absolutely correct. This, however, does not teach students anything except don't trust artificial intelligence yet. <laughs> it's like trusting Wikipedia. I had fun with chat, with the chat um, AI. Yeah. Or a chat bot. Yeah. Um, I asked, what's tomorrow's lottery numbers? <laughs> you know, what's, uh, which, which investments in the market should I pick? Mm -hmm. I asked the chat, a uh, bot, uh, what's the best techniques for oral sex? <laughs> and you get a big disclaimer. I am artificial intelligence. I'm not a real human being. Therefore, I'm not qualified, really, to give you advice on personal items such as this, different people enjoy different things. However, according to my research, <laughs> if you're performing oral sex on a female, uh, the idea was if you did the the alphabet. Well, it was Sam Kennison's case. Yeah, yeah, but then the girlfriend starts dating a guy who's Chinese and you're out of the way. Well, yeah, up, you know, it's uh, uppercase yeah. and lowercase. No, yeah. And then if you do it with diacriticals, if you're foreign language, <laughs> then you really got Doing a emoji. Yeah. You use a motor It's a cars. talented tongue. Yeah, that's why they turn in Chinese. <laughs> we could do that. 
So that so the, uh, some there's um, a market for people to read books and write um, critique or, or uh, synopsises. Yeah, guidance. Gui- and then they sell them and make money. Yes, they sell them to students who have been assigned to read this book. Oh, my. Like maybe you got the cliff notes to Tale of Two Cities or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. This AI version would say, no one knows what time it was. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it was just... Because no human being obviously read the book and then compared it to this audio book. Right. Babbling it, it you know. <clears throat> what I find fascinating is that it may have used language which was confusing, but at some point, the actual text of the book had to be at the disposal of this AI tool. Yeah. I mean, if they didn't have the contents of the book, they w- how could they write it? You know? That's true. And I think, I know, the, um, the technology is fascinating and growing. In five years, it'll be wonderful. But it no, no. Yeah, but it yeah, is yeah. it is literally artificial. And yes. Let me explain why. The goal of artificial intelligence is for self learning, understanding, and articulation. What they have right now is brute force. Really, they just have thousands and thousands and thousands of PC CPUs all connected together and sophisticated algorithms for parallel processing and they have they've come up with uh, a software language syntax that allows them to pull all of the information together filter through it and come up with an answer but it isn't it isn't learning in the sense that the human brain does obviously not and that's that's the end goal is to replicate the cognitive functions of the human brain got a way to go oh yeah long long way to go but the um <clears throat> when they can pull this off without requiring a warehouse of computers mm-hmm. doing fortran um, Fortran is alive and well in the scientific community. Is it? It is, and it is not the language from the seventies. It is a. It's been modernized, and um, if you're a research scientist, your daughter probably knows that uh, this is the um, one of the languages that uh, physicists, chemists, they go through. There's a huge library of uh, functions that handle advanced mathematics and physics are waiting for you to exploit. Hmm. Because I can remember back in the 60s when I went to college and we got into computers, we did Fortran. Yeah. Those little cards punched little... Yes, uh, Hollerith cards. That's where I started my career with unit record devices. Hmm. Big giant machines that would take these Hollerith cards, which were um, a little longer than a postcard, yep. longer than a postcard, but about the same size. And you would get uh, a carton, which is 2,000 cards. And then we had devices that would sort them, how to print, that, print out what's on the card, because it was basically just a bunch of holes. Yeah, it looked like someone took a staple you know, 
thingy <coughs> to it. Punch, puncher. Punch holes. Yeah, there's yeah. holes in the car. Uh, and we had uh, these big, giant typewriters. They were washing machine, stand, you know, a, a top loader washing machine size. Mm-hmm. And you would put the card in, and you would then type, punching out the holes. And you really had to be good at typing so that, you know, because if you made a mistake, whatever you were writing would Garbage work. in, garbage out. Yeah. Well, someone put a lot of <laughs> garbage in. <laughs> Out <laughs> these these giant unit record devices that would sorting and printing and uh, other machinations with the cards, they had these um, breadboard size um, circuits. They were, I'd say, twelve by twelve ish, thirteen by thirteen, and they had a bunch of holes on them. And you use jumper cables to program device. Hmm. So like, <clears throat> if you wanted to sort the uh, A through 12 alphabetically, you had a way to tell it where to start, where to end by putting these jumpers mm-hmm. um, and whether you wanted ascending or descending. And, you know, you could have like four levels deep of sorting. Kind of like the lady at the switchboard on the telephones. Yes. Is this the person yes. to whom I'm speaking? Right. And that uh, programming these boards was an art form too. Boy, you could have an advanced degree in programming that, and do you no good much today? Would it? Uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> showbiz is showbiz. So <clears throat> this uh, this AI tool uh, comes up with a synopsis that is was it reasonable, but just mangled, or was it completely? Wrong? It was totally unreasonable. Okay. Because, I mean, it's doing it chapter by chapter. In the actual book, it begins with a phone call from the lady who owns the restaurant to the woman's sister saying, hey, your sister has not shown up for work. Her car is still parked at the lot from last night. I'm worried about her. Go over to her place and find out if she's okay. Right. So now the sister's worried, her boyfriend's worried, her husband, whatever. They just go over there and she's afraid to go in. He goes in and he finds the murdered woman and the murdered kids. You know, and then they call the cops. Right. And it goes from there. Uh, the AI version starts with the guy getting his beard trimmed. <laughs> Was there anything in the AI synopsis that had content that matched the book? Well, the, the, you know, character names. Oh, there was a thing at the end that tells you all the characters are. But it doesn't identify them in the in when you're listening to it. It doesn't say who these people are or what their relationship is. You know, Joe Blow needed to do something. He did it. Next point. <laughs> doesn't mention the fact that these people are murdered or who they are or what they're. You know, these are supposed to be what you remember for the test that you're going to be given on this book. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just boggled my mind that someone said, "I got a great idea, man. We can make two ninety five sell an audio book. We don't take it, do any work. We'll just ask." Uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Alexa, whatever, to do it for us and we'll put it out. And I, like I say, I pity the student who thinks they're going to ace their test. Is there any way that you can post a, no- a note or a comment to go with this download? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I said, don't waste your money. Call I, me. I'm, I'm the like- author of the book. This, uh, uh, this uh, voice over discussion of my book is not even close. No. And it's, it's, 
All it speaks so. to is a lack of integrity and a sense of greed on the part of whoever. So it let me turn this around. Turn it around. You have an individual who has come up with a scheme to make some extra cash. Yeah. Right. Tell me why in, in say, a long weekend, you could do the same for every one of your books. Yes. And post them at two ninety five, and see if you make any money. But yours will be accurate because you're the author. Yes. I would rather they just read the damn book and did it themselves instead of trying to cheat with one of these things. But the object here, you know, we are in a capitalistic society, and someone is always trying to figure out a way to make money uh, with a little amount of effort. Hey, I made some money with a little amount of effort. What was her name and how much <laughs> no, she charged? No, 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 I charged her. No, uh, I got a phone call from England. Wow. That's and it, they didn't reverse the charges either. Uh-huh. Well, that, that can be very painful. <laughs> yes. And they said, Mr. Bear, do you have uh, rights available to man overboard the counterfeit resurrection of Phil's champagne? And I said, of course. <laughs> They're always available because people option them and then the option expires and I'm ready to make money again. And they said, we'd like to pay you real American money for the right to dramatically do it like a radio uh, drama. Ah, in a series for a podcast that will act out the book. Oh, lovely. And I said, lovely. And uh, we'll pay you uh, for the right to do that. And uh, we'll pay you a little extra for creative consultation to make sure we do a good job. Okay. And he said, and do you have all the tapes of the old interviews from people from 20-some years ago? And I said, uh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did find... The tape of my interview with Secret Service agent Lyle Workman, uh, which is a fascinating tape itself. Do you have any any uh, any audio of uh, of Phil? If I can find the tapes, which are in a box in my garage, I do. Also, of course, we had Phil on the show. Yes. Which didn't which I kind of guide him through things. It was towards the end of his life. Hey, Phil, remember? Most of you guys yeah. wanted to know about him being a gigolo in Florida. <laughs> So, um, when when you do set this up with these individuals from England, mm -hmm. make sure that he's a very handsome mouse. Yeah. <laughs> that reference to that is, is I went to see television producer Anthony Spinner, who was actually a producer on one of my favorite TV shows, Return of the Saints, starring our friend Ian Ogilvie, who's been a guest on the show a few times. Yes, he has. And when I showed up at his office, he was outside smoking dope in his car. Which I know because if he was out in his car. He'll be back in a minute. He came in and he was wearing a sweater that had soaked up enough THC to get everybody in this building hired a kite. Sounds like fun. Yeah. So he comes in circling Pluto and uh, telling the story. He thinks about it a minute. He goes, I have some ideas. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> what are they? He goes, how about, and bless his heart, I know he had good intentions, he gives me every stereotypical cliche from TV that you could possibly imagine. How about if his wife's brother turns out to be a private eye? And he does this, and going, I'm just listening to all this stuff. It's just totally off the mark, totally in Congress with the story. I said, well, I'd have to ask Phil. And I asked Phil, as you rightly know, Phil said, I don't care if they make me a cartoon mouse as long as they write me a check. <laughs> Which uh, uh, I think is is uh, Lee Goldberg, <coughs> Lee Goldberg, my beloved nephew, best known for writing some great books, yep. including uh, 
his versions of Diagnosis Murder, which he was producer on, wrote scripts for, etc. Uh, fabulous job. Is what you do is, is you write, write your teleplay, your screenplay, whatever. You go to California, you toss it over the border. They toss you back a check, and you don't look back. Because <laughs> they're going to change everything. As long as you get that check, you're fine. If you're going to give up creative control, you just have to accept you don't have creative control. Yeah. And that's, I, I interviewed uh, uh, Roy Huggins, created Maverick, 77 Sunset Strip, all those great Warner shows. Mm-hmm. And I had by simple twist of fate, had seen the original pilot one summer when they were running all these old pilots on TV just for the heck of it, you know, fill up the space because the show... A pilot of what? Of, uh, I saw a pilot of what the show was originally called Anything for Money. And that was a show about privatized Stuart Bailey uh, in, in California. And that was his motto, Anything for Money. And it was based on a series of short stories that Huggins had written in the 1940s. Uh-huh. So this was uh, Noor? Uh, post-Noor. <laughs> the night after Noor. <laughs> so not quite not quite Marlowe. No. But uh, you know, decent stuff. And they actually adapted the short story. I had read the short story, so I had it right there. And uh, uh, I talked to him about that. And he said, yeah, he says, when they didn't want to give me created by credit, for the series. So they they did it in such a way that they didn't have to pay him. <laughs> someone else write the pilot episodes. Uh-huh. But then he was in charge of it, so he wanted to make him money, you know, up until. But uh, yeah, it's, they'll take something that's very clever and then change it so it's exactly the same as everything else. That's because people... Um in you know what I have observed is that it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be an individual and do what's right. It's yes. much easier just to put out what everyone else has done because it worked. Yeah, that's one reason I was praising Matt at the beginning of the right. show. He he stood up and had integrity when these people who were running for president of the United States didn't. If any of those individuals had said, "Shut the f up." And said, my apologies, sir. I want to, from my heart, thank you so much for your service and courage to defend our country. Right. And then go on with the discussion. And I cannot imagine how many more votes he would have gotten. Yeah. Well, none of them. This is the debate no. between the, the various candidates, Herman Cain right. and Romney. And, and, and because the guy asked the question doesn't mean you know which direction he's coming from. Yeah. He may not want uh, uh, homosexuality in the military. Well, the guy was gay himself. Well, that, but, but the question does not ade- yeah. identify either yeah. way what side of the fence he's on. He just wants to know what side of the fence the, he, the, this the candidates were on. Yeah. And, you know, um, I recently saw someone post a question uh, of a theoretical physicist what their opinion of Einstein's theories of relativity. And and there was, a, a, you could say, a literary pregnant pause. And he says, um, my opinion and everyone else's opinion 
past, present, and future is meaningless. The, your opinion is just an opinion. But <clears throat> scientists take and create theories that have predictable outcomes, uh, outcomes uh, can replicate them. that can be replicated. And then scientists go and run those experiments to prove or disprove the theory. That's a fact. They are, it's proved, they yeah. are wrong many, many, many times. times. Yes, yes. absolutely. Over the course of, you know, fast forward 20 years, it's like, oops. oops. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But that's one of the reasons why I like science, because they keep asking, you know, um, over the last 100 years, 115 years since Einstein's first theory came out, 1905, all of the things that his theory predicted have come have been proven and it was very recently it was only uh 2017 where we first detected gravitational waves which he predicted in 1950 mm-hmm. right. so the more the theory explains the observable and is provable uh the more credence it has but opinions are meaningless that's right 500 bc buddha said truth is not a matter of opinion Truth can be investigated and ascertained. Therein lies the difference. So, yeah. But uh, these people wouldn't even give an opinion. But what irked me, apparently what irked Matt, and the imaginary character on the newsroom, was why didn't any of them say, so we, you know, thank you for your service, and I apologize for these people booing you. That's the, that's the part of it. Yeah. That's why it reminded me that Matt did that, and I admire him for that when I saw the show. Yeah, well. That's a phrase Matt has said many times. You know, do the right thing. Yeah. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. do. That's right. Do the next right thing. Do the right thing to do. Not the next right thing. Don't do, do the, the right, right thing. thing. Yeah, then what's next? The next right thing. <laughs> so, uh, you had something else you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, I uh, want to congratulate Caitlin Rother, who's been a Ah, yes, crime hottie. Right. Yeah, Caitlin. she's a crime hottie, all right. <laughs> Murder on Ocean Boulevard, of course, is her latest book, which has been doing quite well. But uh, she sent a message the other day. Um, uh, titled the book. I can see the cover of the book in my mind. Let me put my mind against the microphone. Uh, it's the one where, I love this book, the one where the guy goes into the Kate police... Rother books. Goes into the police station and says, Hi, I'm a serial killer, and I'm not getting any publicity. <laughs> And you guys had searched it for me and you haven't caught me. And they say, well, what the hell are you talking about? He says, I can, I can prove I'm a serial killer. Reaches his pocket and pulls out a woman's breast and puts it on the table. So we've got dead reckoning, naked uh, addiction, twisted triangle. It's an earlier one than that. Then no one can have her. The angry eight. Dead reckoning Haunting Charles Mansion. Hunting Charles Mansion. No, it's, uh, I'll take care of you. The body count was my one of my books. There's a title similar to that. <laughs> no one can have her. You know. It's a two-word title. Anyway. Poisoned Love? No. Body Parts. Body Parts, that's it, because he pulls the body part out of his pocket and puts it on the table and says, right. see this? I killed this woman and here's her breast right here. See, I'm a bad guy. You haven't caught me, so I thought I'd better come and let you know you should look for me. <laughs> I think they got him. Ah, so did we have her on for her new book? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Okay. This book's been out for a couple of years. So she's got some new. But anyway, she was happy to report that uh, Body Parts is coming out again in a new edition with an update uh-huh. on the uh, perpetrator who's been in prison all this time. He doesn't look uh, as young as he did 20 years ago whenever when she wrote that book. Right. But uh, it's a damn good book. She's a good writer yeah. and a fun person. Quite so well, when, when do we get her back? Well, we will. Okay. We'll, we'll browbeat her into submission and... Uh, <laughs> Mm, well, and get her in here. Uh, getting back to Ben Overboard for a minute. Yes. So uh, what what they're going to do in England, as I mentioned, is they're going to cast people in the parts of the various people in the book, and right. do a dramatic version of it. Uh, There's in some other uh, true crime podcasts where they do that, where they act out, you know, the whole thing. Uh-huh. And uh, that's going to be a BBC something or other, whatever it is they do uh, in England. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I told the guys that I'm excited about this because when I was uh, 19 years old at the uh, University of Washington, I was already on the air. I was playing the hits for the kids weekends on KJR, and I was Burl Bear, Prince of Darkness mornings on KYAC Soul Radio. <laughs> and I'd have to go from KYAC, finish my morning show at 10 a.m., and make it to the University of Washington by 10.30 to attend my class in radio production, where I learned how to crunch cornflakes so it would sound like I was walking in snow. Oh, you, uh, <laughs> there was Foley in the in the class. Yeah, that's what the whole class was how to do the sound effects. And that's what they call the that's what they call it the in Foley. The movies, yeah, Foley. I talked to the guy who does Foley for Warner Brothers mm-hmm. when we were doing Maverick. Right. He's a great guy, and he showed me. He was so excited to demonstrate for me. He said, "Watch this." He puts up a scene where. The Maverick is walking into a saloon, and he's got a like a, a pallet, wood pallet, right. and he's got different kinds of cowboy boots. He puts on his hands, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just perfect synchronization with Maverick walking into the saloon. You know, that's how Maverick sounds when he walks in. Now here's this other guy who's gonna walk in. It's different, make different pair of boots, and um, there's like uh, all the little sounds that you hear in the movie, like the guy's lighting a cigarette lighter, or scratching his head blowing his nose, whatever it is, are all added later. And you don't think about that when you watch the movie. That they're shuffling a deck of cards, or all these little incidental sounds are all added separately. I got a 24 track mixer. It's amazing. Uh, Brian De Palma, early in his career, uh, did a movie surrounding a Foley artist. I believe it was John Travolta. Yes. Blowout. Blowout. With Which, uh, with John Travolta and what's her name? Oh, uh, We Spark. Uh, Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen. Yeah. That's right. And then uh, that was inspired by the movie Blow Up. Uh, by... Um, what's his name? Starring... Uh, what's his name? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that was uh, uh, the... the uh, The movie film. director that got, ex- got kicked out of the U.S. for the... Oh... Oh, 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 oh. Is that the guy? Uh, guy who did Blow Up? Yeah. So David Hemmings. And Verushka was in that film. Verushka was a model. Very tall. Statuesque. There's a scene in the movie where she says, I'm going to France. Later he finds her stoned at a party. He says, I thought you were in France. She goes, I am. Oh, I never would have. Uh, Michelangelo Antonia. Produced by Carlo Ponti. And who directed it? Uh, directed by Michelangelo 
Antonioni? Antonioni. Hey, how about that, huh? Yeah. Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave is in also. And it's with him playing tennis with mimes in the park or something like that. <laughs> you got to watch out for those mimes in the park. They're nothing but trouble. Loud, noisy, they're just a pain. Yeah, I know. And they get trapped in them. Don't they have any sense of proportion? <laughs> I want to tell you, that uh, that north, that nor'easter wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it just ahead. blows them all around. You can hardly walk. Jeez. <laughs> they shouldn't all go to the same places because they all wind up getting blown uh, around and locked in a box. Walking upstairs, too, is another rough one for them. All right. <laughs> so as we, as we uh, come to close to the end of today. That time just flies so fantastic when you're talking about mimes in the park. Right. (laughs) Uh, So, you have three books out this year? Well, let's see. Uh, We have Stealing Manhattan, the untold, previously untold story of the, oh, it's the wind. (laughs) I'm in a box. Uh, (laughs) I made Matt Allen laugh. That's one of the great joys of my life is making Matt Allen laugh. Go ahead. Uh, Uh, The untold story of America's brilliant Jim Heist masterminds who trained the Pink Panthers. Yeah. That's now available wherever you buy your books and you should buy it immediately. And how is it doing? I don't know. You can't can't tell on sales because there's no way of of knowing. Because they always do hold back for returns and all that stuff. I'll know in six months or so. The other one that came out of the story that I do know is, is moving well because there's more reviews posted is Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye. Ah, that was fun. That was That's what Fred Wolf is great. And uh, in fact, he was co-host of the show occasionally when uh, before you were here or even when you were here, I think. Well, was that uh, uh, during the Waldman era? Uh, yeah. Because I don't remember. Yeah, he filled in for either Howard or uh, Don on, uh, gee, who was I just listened to the show the other day. Anyway, whoever it was, he did a good job. He filled in, hmm. grilling uh, some poor sucker. <laughs> So, and then there's one more. Uh, what else we got coming out? Oh, Twisted Twins should come out. Yeah. And then Frank Gerardo and I uh, are trying to finish up a book that the original working title was To Live and Lie in L.A. Which is a great title. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, we just need to talk to a couple of attorneys as as why you were so incompetent. <laughs> Which is a difficult question to ask politely. I have a theory, however. Yeah. That in this particular case, it clearly was one of entrapment. It meant click, check every box on an entrapment defense, and it's all there under California law. And one attorney who said, this is obviously an entrapment case, got fired, not by the person that wanted to hire them, but by the other attorney for advocating the entrapment defense. And so it was never mentioned that the person who talked them into doing this was was an law enforcement person. Was that was a snitch for the FBI and the Department uh, DEA, etc. So then the theory is why would the attorney not out the confidential informant, not out the uh, the other attorney? Yeah, not out the the person. You know, said well, so and so. Talked him into doing it, and they're uh, you know under signed contract to the FBI, and then, you know, because obviously someone put pressure on him somewhere. So I asked, I asked around. I said, "How common is this that say you got a public defender, you got a prosecutor? For the prosecutor to go to the public defender and say, hey, listen, give me this one.' 
So I don't, you know, don't ask that out for confidence performance. And I'll give you the next one. And someone said, more often than you would think. Wow. And that's tragic. That's frightening. It is frightening. Uh, like Thunder and Lightning with Shai Coltrane. <laughs> <laughs> that is scary. I mean, I think maybe I, I mentioned it before that a friend of mine was public defender back in Walla Walla, Washington, and he's given his, his client the best defense possible, and the judge calls him up to the bench and says, what the hell are you doing? I'm defending my client. Why? That's <laughs> my job. I That's the oath I took to give my client best defense. He says, remember who writes your check. The check who pay the payment to the judge and the payment to the public defender come from the same account. Because from tax dollars. He says, remember who's paying you. Same person pays me. Why don't you just shut up and go home? I mean, that's really tragic. There was a study done. I haven't seen the exact details of this study for L.A., but I know it wasn't, didn't come out very favorable, on prosecutorial misconduct. And no one did well, yeah. any city, on prosecutorial misconduct. All of them tend to get... You know, they get I, caught up in winning. Winning, because that, that's people think that the job of the prosecutor is to persecute <laughs> or to convict. It's not... That is not the job description. It's to prosecute justice. If someone is being improperly charged, you're supposed to help get, help get the person off, help the defense. It's not a matter of win, you know. But then when they run for re-election or whatever, it's like, how many cases did you win? So there's something wrong with the, uh, the system. Well, it's the system is flawed, but it's better than most in the world. I don't know. We'd have to check all the brothers in the world. The other thing that Matt and I tend to agree on, I think he's mentioned this, because we don't agree on a lot of stuff except how scary it is to be in radio, is that, is that there are how many million people live in California? Oh, 15 million. Yeah. Whatever. And 21 we, million. And uh, under our legislative system, each state gets two whatever is what? Two senators or two? I never remember what yeah. it is. Well, senator, there's two senators from every state. And then, based on population, is Congress. Yeah. That Senate, that Senate thing's got to be changed. No. You don't think so? No, I think it's just utterly brilliant. No, <laughs> you do. You have, you have the plurality of the population in Congress, and you have the representation in the Senate, and that is the check and balance. If all you had were the most populous states with the most people elected, then that would be the most populous states dictating everything. And if you have the least populated states all being governed by the same party... That's... The two-party system may have been great, but, yeah. you know, how many other parties have existed from, you know, for the last 250 years? We got the Whigs, for one. Yeah, they were around for quite a and while. And they're gone. Yeah. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it isn't that bad. And the, Amer well, the American Union Party only was, what, two elections? Or was it more than two? Because mm -hmm. uh, Abraham Lincoln only ran as a Republican the first time he ran for president. He said, I'll never do that again. <laughs> you know, I think the Republicans at that time wanted to join with, what, with the Whigs at one time? And invade South America and Mexico and make them slave states. 39 million. 39 million? That's a lot of people. It's a lot of pipples. That's a, yeah, a lot of shekels. Susie.
Well, as Ralph right, Rodier just said, let's right, monetize everything. We let's, have something coming up next week. Oh, it's, oh next week, the uh, Taco, is Taco, Taco Bell? Bell Strangler. The Taco Bell Strangler. Not the Strangler himself, mind you. But Rod Chepsik, author of the book. Ah, the interesting. Taco Bell Strangler. I'm talking to Ronnie. Yeah, yeah Ron's a great. He'll be on the show next week. Excellent. Pearl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Matt Allen on the Deepest of Decadence. Live from the Lightning Lounge. But now everybody live.com.